following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Amen. So I want to remind you of some things, but I begin with this question. Now, I think that I think this is a critical question that we need to really grapple with. Was Jesus a victim? No. Was he victimized? Yes. But was he a victim? No. Why? Because he was in charge. Right? Like because he said, I do not, no one takes my life from me. Right? I lay it down that I might take it up again. He's been given authority to do that. Right? Like, guys, can, can we be victimized in life? But let me ask you a question. Can we be victorious as a victim? See, I believe that Jesus wasn't a victim but a victor. That he overcame. Right? But... But he went through circumstances where he was victimized by life's circumstances, right? Like by, by, by others even. Um, and, and yet, he proves victory. He establishes victory. And, and here's the beauty of it. He invites us into his victory. We don't, we don't have to subscribe to victim. We can, we can subscribe to the truth which is we, uh, we share in his victory. We are more than conquerors in him, right? And, and does that change our attitude and perspective in the moment? Does it even change our circumstances because we've been transformed by truth? D- does that make sense? I, I, let, me, let me share some, because in my opinion, you know, we're here talking about Super Bowl Sunday. These are temporal things, you know, like there'll be a different winner next year, but Jesus is an eternal winner. Like he has conquered the grave. He has defeated death. Love and grace wins. Like it's, it's, Jesus didn't lose. He won. That is what, that is what grace does. That is what grace does. And, and here's why this is so significant. Because oftentimes, if we look at Jesus as a victim, then we don't understand that love is the victor, that grace wins, that I can bless those who curse me, I can turn the other cheek, I can show great, I can forgive when I have been significantly hurt. Because this is the, this is the path to victory, right? But let's not have the perspective that Jesus was a victim Though he was victimized, he, he brought victory. And he did it through love and generosity and, and grace upon grace and upon grace. Romans 5 tells us where, where sin abound, grace abound even more. Right? And, and we have to be careful that we don't, we don't give up on grace. And give up on love as the, as the means to victory. That when you're struggling in your marital relationship, be reminded, love wins, grace wins. 
truth will always set us free, right? And because, because we, don't, we, we don't have to be a victim, though victimized. We can walk in the victory that is ours. Listen, listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I remind you that this is a, this is a resurrection text. This is a text that, that tries to help us understand like these glorified bodies that are promised to us and that there's a victory that awaits us in his presence that we too will be glorified in his presence. That's what brings us the, 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 the ultimate glory. But listen to what it says. This is the last part with the exception of verse 58. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. It says, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, that's, that's our mantra in the midst of the moments of pain and hardship, is that this isn't where it ends, that God can do glorious things here as I trust him for there. Does that make sense? That we are, we, are, we are saints that are filled with a living hope, right? Confident that, that everything that happens to us is actually, not, is actually for us. Like that God can work all things together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That, that nothing is broken from his perspective that he can't fix and, and actually bring to beauty from ashes. So like... Colossians 2, listen to what verses 13 through 15 says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, listen, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our, how much? All of our trespasses. Do you know that you are forgiven? It's done. It's finished, right? All of our trespasses by canceling, listen, listen to verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. The legal demand was what? Death. The wages of sin is death. That's been, hey, good news this morning. It's been canceled. Jesus took it all. He nailed it to a cross and he made the ultimate statement that you are loved, forgiven, and free. Like that's, that's been declared, that's done, it's finished. Jesus took all of the wrath that was due our sin and set us free for joyful obedience. Will we still have trial and adversity living in this world? Yes, but let's never forget the outcome because that's where our hope resides. And we can live in that hope in the midst of the moments of pain and struggle and adversity. Because we're not victims, we're victors. Though victimized, we are victors. Verse 15, well, let me finish 14 because this is beautiful, right? It stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, what's the word here? Triumphing over them in Christ Jesus, in him. Do you know that, that the grave has been conquered? Right? The, 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 the wages of sin, death, has been overcome by life himself. 
Do you know that we've been liberated to joyful obedience in the midst of the troubles and trials and adversity that we face in life? And that's our greatest testimony is when we respond in hope in the middle of despair. That's our greatest testimony is that when we love when we're hated, that we forgive when it's not merited. Hey, let me ask you for a, for a moment. Was your forgiveness merited? And, and we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. From the heart, we're told. And I believe when we endure in that, when it is completely unmerited, like when, it, man, that's what demonstrates the Father's love. That's what demonstrates the, 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 the profound change that God has made, His presence in our lives. Like, we, we can't be like Peter that wants to find limits to grace. You know, three times, Lord, hey, listen, I'll forgive him seven times. How about that? Aren't you glad this morning that the math formula doesn't end at 490? Because that's in my rearview mirror probably from when I was three. Do you know what I mean? Like, like God's grace abounded beyond my capacity to sin, and it was great right? Abounded and continues to abound, right? And so what he wants to do is he wants to continue to reveal himself through us and that our grace might abound, our love might abound. And let me tell you, that's not hard. It's impossible. It is the work of the Holy Spirit as we yield to him to to love people that that are hard to love. And man, the other factor that we see here is like, let's not miss this for a moment. Like, we're about to go into a prayer and Jesus is praying a prayer and he, he knows to, to the detail what he's about to face. And he's, and he's just, he's, his heart, his mindset is, folks, is focused on the glory that is coming. That's promised right? That he knows that he's experienced before the foundation of the earth and he knows he's going back to the Father. Can I ask you this this morning? Do you know where you're going? Because if you know, you can go through it with the hope that sustains us in that promise, right? Like Jesus didn't pull any punches. He told us it's going to be a narrow path that is hard, Right? And then, and then it's going to be, they hated me, they'll hate you too. I'm sending you out like little lambs among wolves. Right? He told us the context was going to be fierce and difficult. And they've, they're trying to take this kingdom by force. And, and, they're, and they're bringing hardship. Right? And, and we're, we're, we're in the midst of the fallen circumstance. These bodies are in decay. But aren't you glad that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day? And that at the end, the next verse tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that, like, that when we get to glory, as Jerry, my battle buddy, and I remind each other all the time, when we get to glory, this is going to seem light and momentary. Right? In, in, in trying to compare that to this, forget about it right like it's here's the thing but that's that's the perspective that jesus has and wants us to have in the midst of this that i'm more than a conqueror here because christ has overcome the grave and he's liberated me from my debt and my separation is no more 
The cross was a picture of both sin's punishment and the demonstration of God's love and grace. Listen to what Ephesians 2, man, and, and if you know Ephesians 2, you know what's coming. Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 5, listen. We, we hear the redemptive words of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Listen to what it says. And you were dead. Do you know that you're alive because he lived? So do we. Like, do you know that we were dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins? We were born that way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We're no longer walking in those. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, satisfying our sinful nature, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4, But God, being rich, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here it is, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Guys, grace wins. Grace wins. And so Jesus was convinced that this is, this is, like, this is the joy that's set before him. Why? Because he knows this ends not at a cross, not even at an empty tomb, not even, on, not even here but there. And when we share his disposition, now we are encouraged. I mean, who doesn't, when, when given um, in tough circumstances, when given a future promise that is filled with, with, with total optimism, I mean, like when we're putting our trust in God's promises, we're putting our trust in him, in his nature, in his, in his character, in his name. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So I want to tell you as we begin this, this piece that um, in the Gospel of John, which is, which is incredibly unique, um, Father is used... 122 times, 122 times, 21 chapters. Now, you know, it's interesting because starting in chapter 13 to here now 17, which we call the farewell discourse, like this, this is mostly Jesus kind of comforting and sharing and preparing his disciples and then praying here, which is such an example to us of what we do in, when, when about to face life and circumstances and struggle. But 54 times in those chapters, he uses Father. Now, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. What do you think is on Jesus' heart? The Father. The Father. Like, he is so hungry for the Father's presence. He's so hungry for, 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 for being back in his presence. And he is confident that that's where this all ends, right? So read with me. Uh, we're in John 17, 1 through 11, and this is what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, speaking of the, the previous conversation he had after leaving the upper room that we've gone through in John 13 through 16, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I am manifest, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am, go- I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. And here it is, that they may be one, even as we are one. Man, as we finish this portion of this prayer, because the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. But please don't think incorrectly. He's, it's not a selfish prayer <laughs> at all. Uh, And then he begins to pray for his disciples. And then he begins to pray for everyone that would believe through their ministry, which is you and me. And so here he is fully aware about uh, what he's about to face. And he's modeling for us yet again. Prayer that this guys, if you're I'm sure many of you are going through stuff. All of us are. It's a part of the, the growing, sanctifying life of of the Christian, like prayer. No wonder we're called to pray without ceasing, right? So some thoughts here. Jesus clearly knows the outcome is the Father's presence and not the grave, right? That's an overarching clear theme here is that, and, and the question we have to ask is, do we? Do we? Do we know that the the ultimate outcome here is the Father's presence, that we're going home. Like, and we're, it's an eternal like destination into the glory of his presence. And that's our eternal hope. Or do we get locked into our circumstances and, and become discouraged by those moments? What, are the great, what a great example uh, for us when facing suffering Jesus gives us. Now, I think the greatest commentary on this moment is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And in this text, we are just coming out of, to keep it in context, you know, in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews is basically giving a detailed list, uh, basically comes to the point where, you know, starts to just list names because the list is so long, of people that have stood in faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. Did did Noah believe that God would deliver him? Did Abraham believe that his descendants would be the stars like the sand in the sea and the stars in the sky? And yet, 
They, they, they endured the moment. So often we look at them and we, and we think of the big picture and we, we know the outcome, but they didn't and they, they trusted God in those, in those moments, in those places where God had made promises. And Hebrews 12 con- continues with this in, in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, those who trusted God despite their circumstances, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so close, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is, that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is such a good commentary because what's, when we listen to this prayer, what's the joy that's set before him? The Father's presence. The glory that was his before the foundation of the world, right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, what, he's, what, what, we're, what we're being told here is this. Jesus trusted God for his promises, and where is he now? He's seated by the right hand of the Father. You know what he's, you know what he's continuing to do? Pray for you for us right he says seated at the right hand of the throne of god and this is the this is the challenge consider him who endured the uh, from sinners such hostility against him so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted have anybody grown weary and faint-hearted recently is there is there potential for that at any point in our lives i don't see any hands but i see a lot of shaking heads Right. And and what we're told is like, look at the legacy of God. Look at his faithfulness to his promises. Look at look at those who trusted him without without any answers. Daniel went into the the lion's den just trusting God. Let me tell you, those those lions were hungry, (laughs) but they waited. Right. God closed the mouth. Daniel just and you know what? You know what he was being persecuted for in that moment? Praying, praying, trusting God. And, and did that deter him from prayer? No. He stayed the course. And that's our challenge. Did Jesus stay the course? Yes. He did not allow the, the hostility. He did not let, let all of the temptation and, uh, and all of the confusion. And he, he wasn't a fear of man, but a fear of God. And he finished what God had given him. I love this, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We are to consider two things. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who starts and finishes this work of faith in our life. And secondly, consider him. Consider him so that we do not grow weary or lose heart. Well, let's look at this passage, breaking it down into the first four verses. As I said, this is Jesus initially praying for himself, but it's not selfish. Listen to the nature of the conversation. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, Father, the hour has come. Do you know that throughout his ministry, he he would say over and over again, this is not my hour, this is not my time, but that now the time has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, right? What, what is he asking for? He's asking for the Father's presence. And is he praying that knowing that that will be 
What, what the turnout, the outcome? Yes. And we, we can have a similar posture. Since you, have been, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom, all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So just for a moment, camping out here, what, what does it tell us? And this is eternal life? What is eternal life? To know God the Father and Son. That is eternal life. Right? Like that's our, and I love what Amy shared this morning. Like that, that, can that be, can we know him here and now? You know, not, not, and, and is there increasing uh, understanding and revelation? Uh, is he going to pour out his heart and, and give us greater understanding as we seek? Yes. Yes. But, but eternal life is something that he wants us to know in, in, in a dim way now. And then when we see him face to face, we will know as we're fully known. Right, we will experience the glory that Jesus is asking the Father for Him. But let's, uh, for from Him, let's let's remember this: that eternal life is found in a relationship of not knowing about God, but knowing Him, knowing Him. And trust me, nobody wants that more than He does. Right? He's not hiding from us. He wants to reveal His heart. His will is ways to us. He's given us his son. If that's not enough to, to convince you, like he wants to be known and he wants us to seek him like that's all that matters is knowing him. And so, it, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Now, this is a huge moment here because Jesus, keep in mind, he's just praying. Like right in front of the disciples, he's continuing to have this beautiful conversation. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Like we're, we're given the opportunity to see, I, I, I titled our message this morning, a divine discussion. Like this is a Trinitarian talk. Like we're, we're, we're getting to see father and son like talk through these beautiful things that are meant to be such a glorious example to us. I glorified you on earth. My question right there was, okay, are you going to tell us what that looked like, what that meant? And he does. Having accomplished the work you gave me to do. This is how we glorify the Father. This is how we glorify the Father, by, by doing the work that he has given us. What has he given us? Go therefore all the, to all the earth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Like, like we've been given this, this glorious mission, right, to accomplish the work that he has given me to do. And I believe there's some unique uh, personal aspects to that in how we relate to others in our neighborhood, the mission fields that God assigns to us. But man, you don't have to wait to be faithful and to glorify God. I mean, we put a sign outside, right? You're, you're entering your mission field. Every opportunity is an opportunity to glorify him, to accomplish the work that you gave me. Let's do that together. As a church, as in this community, that's, that's, our, that's our opportunity to glorify the Father, to accomplish the work that we've been given. Jesus teaches us to pray to glorify our Father. That's what he's praying for. Like he's asking the Father, like help them to do what I did for you 
and empower them as he's promised through the Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose. And God gets the glory, right? Accomplishing the work given to us. Verse five, and now, Father, glorify me in your, in, in your own presence. This really is insightful because we understand, you know, there are three components to salvation, if I haven't already mentioned this. Justification, right? Declared not guilty, but righteous, right? Sanctification through truth and by the Spirit. We, are, we grow up in the love and knowledge of who he is. And then we're promised glorification, which is the final step of salvation, of being saved. And we're, we understand what that means, to be in his presence. Like, because what changes us is not us, but his presence changes us. When we see him face to face, we will know as we're fully known, we'll be transformed into his likeness. Like, and so that's, that's, a, that's very insightful. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world exists. Huh, go figure. John, John chapter 1, 1 to 3. Hmm, there it is, right? In the beginning was God. In the beginning was, uh, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God, right? Speaking of Jesus, like, and, and, and he, he said things like, before Abraham was, I am. Right? I mean, the, the, these, th this is exactly what he's pointing to. He's wanting to be back with the Father. Who wouldn't? Right? And this is exactly what he's purchased us to. It's so beautiful. We will one day be glorified in his presence. This is our persevering hope, but even better, it's, it's a promise that is made to us. It is on the basis of Jesus glorifying the Father that we are saved and when we glorify the Father, Jesus continues his ministry of salvation through us. Does that make sense? Like, that's so true. That's, that's what he's actually praying for here, is that, that he would continue to work through us in order to glorify the Father and accomplish his work on earth. Uh, it's beautiful. Did the Father answer Jesus' prayer? Where's Jesus today? And, and, and this is the prayer that he will answer for us too. We know that his presence and his glory, right, is, is something that's in our future. Jesus overcame and in him so will we. Because he lives, so will we. He overcame death and in him we will too. And we do, right? We're already walking in the newness of life, Romans 6 says. Verse 6 continues, and I love this. I have manifested your name. Man, when, when we hear name, understand that what we're, what, we're, what we're understanding here is the nature of God, the attributes, the character, the resume. This is who he is, right? And so Jesus is saying, I have revealed your name. I've revealed your nature. And it's just another way of Jesus saying, I have glorified you. Like, how do we glorify the Father on earth? We finish the work. What's the work? To reveal the Father. Like we, Jesus wants to reveal the Father through our lives now. We get to show the world the love of God, you know, the heart of God. They have a lot of misconceptions about God. We get to clarify, right? To the people, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. They, um, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So one of the things that I love about what he just said is that, you know how he sees you and me and his disciples in this moment? 
He sees us as a gift from the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Like that's just, the, that's the benevolent love of our God. It's like he considers that everyone that, that the Father has given to the Son, he says he'll not lose one. Uh, he, n- no one can snatch him, them out of his hand. And, uh, and he considers them a gift from the Father to be stewarded and treasured and, tra- and transformed by his love. So good. We get to continue the ministry of reconciliation. That's our privilege. That's our call. And that's how we glorify God, manifesting or revealing the Father's name or nature. That's how we glorify God. Jesus showed them the Father. That's what he did. I am. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to, he was, Hebrews 1 says he was the exact imprint of God. You know, this is how he was revealed. Now, I love that this is what it says, to the ones that he gave, he gives us. So I believe that God will create, orchestrate affinity between you and others so that you can be an instrument that he reveals his love, his power and presence through. That, that we have assignments. I mean, how did Jesus know which ones he was given by the Father? Do you know what he did? He climbed a mountain, prayed all night, and God told him that as we pray, like the Lord will assign us individuals that, that, are, that we are meant to love on, to share, to reveal the Father to. Like Jesus, we discern this through prayer. It was done through intimate relationships. We have to remember that we are people that value relationships. Because here's the challenge. We can, we can start to value a lot of things in life, right? We can make things precious that aren't precious to God. And what God considers precious is relationships. Our relationship with him and our relationship with others. And love should mark them both. In verses 7 and 8, it continues, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Right? So here's the thing. They know that you're a good, good father. They know that you're a benevolent God, that, you're, that you are the good gift, that you're the source of every good and perfect gift. Right? For I have given them the words that you gave me. And that sounds so much like the Great Commission. Like we're to teach what we've been taught. Like Jesus said just, re- just briefly recently in this text, he says, he says, you don't have to worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will put it in your mouth. Right? So like I have given them the words that you gave me. Man, like God is going to give us. The prophet said that in, in the time of the church age, that, that man would not teach one another, that the Spirit himself will teach you. I will teach you, he says. And so that we have that same experience. They, they didn't get it at this moment, but they understood later that they would be taught by heaven himself and that what we are taught, we are meant to share, right? For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth. Did everybody receive his words? No. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. Who's he talking about? Specifically here is disciples. And they have believed that you sent me. And this, this, this is the, the faith that liberates us to salvation, right? So here's our witness, giving them the words given to us, right? Jesus is just exemplifying like everything that he's taught here. Jesus prays for us. 
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious to know? I love, I go back to what he said to Peter before he, you know, before even what's about to transpire. Like he says, Peter, before the cock crows tonight, you will deny that you even know me three times. And he says, he says, the enemy is, is asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Like we talked about this last week, right? Like I have prayed for you. Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus is your advocate in prayer before the throne of grace? That he is praying for the things that before you face them, in the midst of them, by his spirit, he is with us. Jesus prays for us. In verse 9, it says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. He will do that in just a moment, but for now, he's praying for the disciples, for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. Don't you love the economy in the Trinity? That there's no mine. There's no I in me. It's ours, right? There's this mutual sense of, of, of everything is ours. If it's yours, it's, it's mine. If it's mine, it's yours. And, and what, what God wants for us is uh, for, for heaven to come to earth. Right? We see it in Acts 2, 22 to 20, or 42 to 47. He wants that, that, that mindset to come to earth. That like what, what God has given us, you know, what do you have that you haven't been given? Right? It's, it's all his. Right? But what does he want us to do with what's his? Right? He wants us to share it the way that he shared it with us. G- Jesus is saying like everything that you have is mine and everything that I have is yours. And he wants this type of oneness, this, but this heavenly mindset to permeate our thinking so that it, it's demonstrated in our living. It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? And I am glorified in them. And it's interesting. What is he talking about? He's talking about the disciples. They were yours, Father. You gave them to me. They're still yours, but now they're mine. And, and I love that, that, that he's talking about it in, in, the, in the sense of like, they're mine. They're a gift from you. And he says this in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name in your resume, your nature, your attributes, your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. If the worship team would come, I just want to draw some final conclusions here. Jesus said that he is glorified in us, in verse 10. Like, and as mentioned, like, Jesus wants to continue to glorify the Father through our lives. And so as we yield ourselves to finishing what he started, we continue to glorify the Father and we glorify Jesus. His presence and power is revealed through us, right? In order to to, to save the world, to continue the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus prays for our protection here. And he looks for the Father. He looks to the Father and his name, right, for that protection. Jesus says, uh, prays for unity. And not any kind of unity, but unity in perfection. That we may be one <laughs> as Father and Son are one. Like, do you know that that's his aim? Do you think that that was, was his aim or still is his, his aim? 
right? Do you still, do you think that he wants oneness within the church, within the body of Christ? Do you think he wants oneness in your marriage? You know, he wants, like, and do you think that, we, that he wants to administer power to see that to fruition? Like, that, that he will join us in that ambition and that mission? We are called to intimate community that, that replicates a heavenly, like, union and community. And that's why we pray this prayer. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will be done. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. We got a picture of a heavenly conversation this morning. There was a lot to glean, and I think there's a lot to be told uh, and to understand about overcoming. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.